Good morning. Uh, my name is Marty Cates. Again, I'm the associate pastor here at Sycamore. It's my privilege and joy this morning to open God's Word uh, with you. Uh, we're continuing uh, this morning in our series about our vision and values, uh, something we do each fall here, uh, reminding ourselves of what we are called to. Our vision um, as, a, as a church is, is who we long to be, who we hope to be, and in some ways, who we kind of hope we already are becoming. And so our vision here at Sycamore is to be a robust church, joyfully united to Jesus, our community, and each other. And we, we accomplish that vision uh, by building disciples through our core values of, of fellowship and training, equipping, and missions. Or put uh, a little bit differently, that we live, grow, thrive, and go uh, together. And so this morning... I will be talking about that last core value, the, the value of go, of missions. We'll be in John uh, chapter 12 this morning about why, why we as, as believers, those who have put their faith in Christ, are compelled to go. So John 12 is, is in the middle of, of God, John's Gospel. It separates the two books of John's Gospel. The first half is considered the book of signs. It's the place that Jesus does His signs and miracles and explains the kingdom. And then the last half of the book is the book of glory where He's glorified. And chapter 12 is kind of the, the, the balance between those two points. So as we turn to John 12 to read together this morning, let me pray and ask God for His help. Heavenly Father, we come this morning... Uh, to Your Word, we ask that You would open our hearts, our ears, our minds that we might hear this morning, we might receive this morning uh, the good news of the Gospel. We might hear the truth of Your Word proclaimed this morning. And we pray that You would use the preaching of Your Word to encourage us and equip us to walk in faith and to look to Christ Jesus as our Savior, in whose, Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from the heavens. I am glorified in it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? And so Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. 
Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. So while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is God's word. It's without error in any part. It's given for our good and for his glory. So going, a heart of missions, that we, we go together, that we move out in love. Why do we go? Why should we go? Our text this morning, I believe, answers that for those who have put their, their faith in Jesus, who put their faith in Christ, that they were compelled. We're compelled to go. We're compelled to evangelize. We're compelled to share. First, we're compelled to do so because of what we see in, in the first few verses here. Verses 20 to 22 says, Now those who went up to worship and at the feast, there were some Greeks. And they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. See, in verses 20 to 22, God is, is showing us that He's drawing the nations to Himself. These Greeks, these outsiders, these Gentiles have come to worship at this feast, at the Passover feast. They're not Jews yet. They're, they're not converts. They're not proselytes. They're, they're God-fearers. But, but Passover was the largest feast in the Jewish calendar. It was a special one. It was so large and important that, that all young men older than the age of 12 that lived within a certain distance of Jerusalem, they were compelled to go up to celebrate in Jerusalem the Passover feast. And kind of like some religious tourism, these Greeks had come along. And, and that shouldn't surprise us. Even today, we, we see religious tourism around the world. We see people travel to partake in feasts and celebrations for religions that they're not a part of whether it's Holi or Dwali in, in India, whether it's Carnival in Rio de Janeiro, whether it's Songkran in, in Thailand, people travel for these celebrations, these festivals. They're not Hindu or Buddhist or Catholic. They just want to take part of it. They want to be around the festivities. The difference here is that these, these God-fearers had some respect. They, they came to celebrate. They came to listen. And in some instances, they came to worship. And so we have these Greeks that have come up to worship at this feast. And they, they can only get so close. If you're familiar with the, the, the construction of the Temple Mount, you'll know that there's a, a Jewish courtyard, the court of the Jews, and there's the court of the Gentiles, and between the two is the wall of hostility. What a great name for a wall, right? The wall of hostility. And, and that there's a warning at the wall of hostility. For those that aren't Jewish, don't, don't go through the gates. Don't, don't cross the threshold. If you do, you do so at your own peril. The risk of your own life. We, we know that because in, in Acts 21, right, Paul has gone up to Jerusalem. He's, he's been there for a few days on the last day that, that they, they, they come and arrest him because he's trying to convert them to Christianity. But also they say he brought some Greeks with him and he brought them into the temple and he defiled it. And what do they seek to do? They seek to lynch him. They drag him out of the, the temple and they begin to beat him and he's saved by the Romans who come and arrest him and bound him and take him away. So even just being associated with Gentiles when you were a Jew and you were in that court, being too close to them was, was a risk. And so here you have these Greeks and they've come up and they, they, they approach Philip. And why, why would they approach Philip? Well, they approach Philip because his name is Greek. Philip is a Greek name. And so they think, hey, this guy, he's got, you know, he, he might be kind to us because he's like us. Now he's a Jewish man 
It makes that plainly clear for us in, in the text, but he has a Greek name. And so they approach him thinking, you know, hey, he, this is our best chance. And then maybe, you know, they say, hey, we, we want an audience with Jesus. So these Greeks that have come up to worship, they want an audience with Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly from the text what they wanted with Jesus, why they wanted an audience with Jesus, but we do know that what John is telling us, what he is showing us, the power of the Holy Spirit is that, that the gospel, that the, the, the proclamation of the kingdom, the teaching that Jesus has been doing, that the gospel is drawing people from all over the world. And it intends to do that. So what's the use of us diving into hard conversations? Of embracing the awkwardness of life? Because let's be honest, there are times where you're going to have spiritual conversations with someone and they're just awkward. Because you can tell they don't want to have that conversation. They don't want anything to do with you. What's the purpose? What's the use? What's the use in sending and, and funding missionaries into parts of the world that don't want them there? That in fact are saying, get out. You're not welcome. Well, it's because that's what God is doing. Regardless of kings and queens, regardless of, of potentates and dictators, of princes and governments, no matter who they say they want in or want out, there is someone who wants in. And it's the living God. And He owns every square inch. And He's drawing the nations to Himself. And so when He tells us to go, when He commissions us to go and, and, and to baptize and to preach and to teach all that we've learned, to do His bidding, what does He say to us? He says, go, knowing I'm always with you. I'm, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Well, how's He with us always? He's with us always because He's going with or without us. He's already about the work of His kingdom and growing His kingdom and bringing the nations to Him. And so when we go, we're going with Him. But He's always with us. Now we hear nations and, and we probably quickly think, okay, that means we've got we to gotta send missionaries. We've got to send them across the borders. We've got to send them across the seas. We've got to send them around the world. And we do that as a church. We do a great job of that. You know, we, we set aside 20% of our budget before we even begin to, to budget for things to set it aside for the funding of ministries and missionaries. But you've, you notice that budget's not just going overseas. Because while we think nations and we think it's everybody but us, it means us too. And for a long time, we, we lived in a nation that was influenced greatly by the church by the morality of, of Christianity, the ethics of Christianity. That's not the case anymore. If you haven't noticed in the last decade or so, things are changing pretty quickly. And some of it's because we forgot that we're the nations. We forgot that, that we don't just need to go across the seas, but we need to go across the street. Because as the nations, God is drawing us to Himself as well. So that's what we're called to. That's His intention. And if it's His intention, we need to have that as our intention as well. We could sit and, and regale story after story of how we see God at work and how we see Him drawing the nations to Himself. I mean, Tuesday mornings here at Sycamore, if you've never stopped by the church on a Tuesday morning, you should do it. We have an ESL program. There's 22 different nations represented in our ESL program. They show up here on Tuesday mornings to learn English. They come to a church to learn English, knowing that we want them to know the gospel. That at some point in that morning, they are going to hear about Jesus. And yet they come. Some of them 
maybe more reluctantly than others, but they come. And at some point, they hear the good news of the gospel because God is drawing the nations to himself. He's not only drawing the nations to himself, but he's doing it in a very particular way. He says in in verses 23 to 33 that that way is the cross. He says, he answers them. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's saying that the, 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 the way that I'm doing this, the way I'm drawing the nations to myself is through the cross of Christ. Right, Jesus says that. He says that, that when He is raised up, that He will draw the nations to Himself. There's six reasons that we, we see that the cross is the, 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 the purposeful way that God is drawing the nations to Himself. And I think those six reasons answer why we continue the work of the kingdom. You know, you often hear the question, why can't you just feed the poor and leave the Jesus stuff at home? Why, why can't you just care for the homeless and, and leave God out of it? Why can't you just show up when people are suffering and, and, and leave all that religious stuff behind? I, I, I don't want any of that. Well, Jesus answers that this morning. The six reasons give us a, a, the, the picture of why we can't separate the works of mercy and justice from the work of the cross. First, in verse 23, the Son of Man is glorified. Jesus Himself is glorified in the work of the cross. A couple weeks ago when I was preaching, you heard me talk about He's glorified there because it it demonstrates His love for us. It demonstrates His his sacrifice for us. It demonstrates His character for us and to us. And so He's glorified. Now, His followers, when they heard the the hour has finally come, probably got really excited. The, The hour... That little two-word phrase is really popular in the book of John. You hear it when Jesus talks to his mother at his first miracle at Cana. He says, my time is not now. The hour has not yet come. Because in, in, in every instance with the hour until now, they've all been referring to something in the future. And so his, his disciples here, and you got to think like they're like in the background, like Arsenio Hall back in the day, pumping that fist, like it's time, his power, he's coming now, he's going he's gonna to push the Romans to the side, he's going to ascend the throne, it's on. You know, I, I, I picture them beginning to plan the, the coronation party, and, and like Anna and, and, and Frozen, they begin to sing, and they're like, man, I didn't know we had this many dinner plates, right? She's like, I didn't know we had 8,000 dinner plates. They're just, they're excited because of the party they're about to have, because their guy is winning and he's going to ascend the throne. But Jesus keeps going and he says, that's, that's not how we're going to do it. That's not how it's going to happen. I'm not going to take the throne. Your hopes and dreams that, that, that the Greeks are going to have to come and, and ascend my throne and bow down to me is not what's going to occur. He says, no, no, what's going to happen is just the opposite. The hour has come for my glorification, for me to be glorified. And, and I'm glorified in the cross, in the crucifixion. I'm glorified in my death. And their mouth's got to drop. Like you can, just, you can see their disappointment, their frustration. You can see their confusion. Because everything they thought was going to happen isn't there. Why? Why is he glorified? In the cross. Well, he tells us because right after that, he, he, he says that it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he says, unless a grain of wheat falls and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, 
it bears much fruit. What he's saying is that that in his death, there's something that comes out of it that's far greater. He's telling them that, that in order for the kingdom of God to grow, he has to die. That in laying down his life, you and I become the fruit. When the seed dies, you and I have a chance to be born again. It's not only his glory, but it's also ours. Right in verse 26, he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. So he's even here calling us to this this self-sacrificial life. This life of of self-sacrifice that's seen in the cross. And he's calling us to this life of missions of laying down our lives for others. That in laying down our lives, there might be much fruit. And he keeps going and says that, that those who serve me, the Father will honor Those who serve me, the Father will honor. And so the cross of Christ glorifies Him and it honors us as we take up the cross to follow Him. This is painful. right? Verse 27, he says that his soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And so he says, Father, glorify Your name. That's the third reason that it's the cross that God is using to draw people to Himself. That it's not only that Christ is glorified, it's not only that that we're raised up in honor, but that God Himself is glorified. God the Father is glorified in the cross. They go hand in hand. As we, the fruit of Christ's work, are born, are growing, are dying to ourselves so that more fruit might be born, the Father is glorified. Because at the cross, His love for us, His faithfulness to His promises is on display. Christ is so determined to glorify His Father that He will even lay down His life to do so. Fourth reason that the cross is the way that God is drawing the nations to Himself is in verse 31, He says, now now is the, the judgment of this world. Now is the judgment of this world. Are you sick? and tired of injustice, of pain, of suffering? Are you, are you tired of turning on the news and seeing again and again every night new atrocities born upon Ukrainians? Are you tired of hearing how, how people are dying of diseases that, that are curable around the world? Are you tired of hearing statistics like you know, every 68 seconds a, another victim of sexual abuse it's added to the numbers. Every nine minutes, one of them is a child. Of course you're tired of injustice. Our hearts break and weep over the sin and wickedness and evil of this world. And if yours doesn't, come see me. We got things to work through. But here's the thing, you and I can't fix it. You and I can't even make it better. But John tells us the cross does. He tells us the cross does, that that all of the wickedness of the world meets its judgment in the cross. That all of the evil and sin of the world meets its judgment in the cross. And it breaks evil. And ultimately we'll see that in its fullness when Christ returns. But it's not just 
that evil and, and wickedness will be driven out, but it's also that, that the evil one himself will be thrown out. He, he says in, in verse 31, right after he has said the judgment of this world is now, he says now the ruler, the ruler of this world will be cast out. So it's not just the evil and wickedness, it's not just the sin, but it's the devil himself is bound and restrained and defeated. We'll see all of that in its fullness when Christ returns to ascend His eternal throne. When He brings the new creation and the new heavens. But at the cross, where it looked as though Satan had won, and he thought he had won. He thought he had figured it all out. But it's at the cross where the opposite happens. Where Satan's great victory is swallowed up. Where death is swallowed up. And where life is born eternal in the resurrection. In that moment, Satan realized that he had lost. And we know that because Scripture tells us that he's angry. And so he's hell-bent on messing as much up as he can before Christ comes to restore it. And so we go. We go and proclaim the good news of the Gospel. We go and proclaim the cross because it's only the cross that can defeat him. It's only the cross. No matter what age it is, no matter what issue it is, it's only the cross of Christ that has the power to break evil. And the sixth reason that's through the cross in particular that He is compelling us to go and to bring the nations to Him. It's the key verse. It's verse 32. And He says, when, and, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. God is drawing all people to Himself through the crucifixion of Christ. Through the cross. The answers for the Gentile, Jesus says, when, when you come uh, to Me and you, and you want an audience with Me, you get your audience with Me when I'm on the cross. When, when, when you see Me and behold Me as the crucified Savior and you place your faith in, in Me as the One who came to save you from your sins, then you see Me as I truly am. And you have your audience with Me as I am lifted up. See, God intends to draw the nations to Himself. And He's doing it through the cross, which uniquely solves the deepest problems and evils of this world. And then lastly, when is the time? Well, the time is now. Verses 34-36, to 36, He says, So the crowd answered Him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? And Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. So while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. So the hour has come, right? It's now. And people don't understand. They say, like, what are you saying? Who is this Son of Man that must be lifted up? Who is it? So Jesus says, look, while you've got the light, walk in the light. While you have it, walk in it. Because it's not going to be here much longer. I say to you this morning those same things. If you have the light of the Gospel, if the light is, is shining on you because of the cross, if the light is guiding you, then you should take this message. You should take the hope and the freedom found in the cross to the world to your neighbor, to your coworker, with everything that is in us. We take the light while you have it. 
And we, we, we don't dismiss it. We don't postpone it. We go. It's very interesting what happens in verse 36. After he said this to them, right? He says, look, while you've got the light, walk in the light. You've only got a little bit longer. So walk in it. Believe in it that you might become sons of light. And then when he had said these things, he departed and hid himself. Now he's not playing hide and seek with them. Like it's not a game. It's a prophetic act. Right? This is the last public words Christ will say. From this point forward in the, in the, in the book, as he, as he teaches, it's just to the disciples, to the apostles. It's not to the crowds any longer. And so he says this to them. Walk in the light while you've got it. It's only here a little bit longer. And then he vanishes. And he hides himself. It's this prophetic act to, to, to give them this picture of this is what's going to happen. You're going to be left in darkness. And so the time is now. The reason so many of us struggle to share our faith, to fund the mission, to go, to pray even, is because we have the light, but we aren't walking in it. We're listening to it, but we're not obeying it. To the light of the cross compels us to take up our crosses and follow Him. It compels us to, to walk in obedience after Jesus. We've got so many excuses. And I know we do because I've got them. You know, I was preparing this week as I wrote that line, I had to stop and confess all the excuses I have for not doing it. And there are many. So how do we, how do we move past them? How do we move past all the excuses? How, how do we move past the, the you know, I've got to get my finances straight before I can help. You know, my, my kids are too young for us to go on a mission trip or go into the mission field. I don't have time to pray. Whatever yours is, whatever excuse you might have, how do you move past it? We well, look to the words of Jesus. You look to the words of Jesus when he says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. You move past your excuses because you look to the cross. You, you, you move past postponing it and dismissing it because you look to the cross. And you see that he, even in his anguish and his pain, he went forward in courage and in faith to glorify the Father and to be glorified. Looking not just to the cross, but to the future looking to you. And he said, you're worth it. And so in all of our excuses and all of our pain and all of our worry and anxiety, we look to the cross. And in light of the cross, we're compelled to go to proclaim the good news of the gospel to a hurting and broken and a wicked and evil world that's only healed at the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning rejoicing in the work of Christ Jesus at the cross. That in laying down His life, that in dying, that we might be born again. That we might be the fruit of His labor. So we come this morning rejoicing. and asking that you remind us 
of that truth each and every day. And then in reminding us, it might compel us to cross the street, to look over a cubicle, to call a friend or a family member, and to tell them the hope and the freedom found in the gospel and your great love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.